Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to RSI Help Radio. I'm Deborah Quilter, and RSI Help Radio is dedicated to bringing you the best news and information about repetitive strain injury. When you have repetitive strain injury, there are many things about it that can be puzzling. For instance, in the beginning, the symptoms can come and go. Maybe you overdo it one day and you're really sore, but the symptoms resolve overnight. So you go along for a few days or weeks, and then you have another episode of deep soreness. But at some point, the symptoms stop going away, and the things that used to clear up become chronic. Many people think if they just stop using the computer or doing whatever it was that led to their injury for long enough, they'll eventually gain normal use of their hands again. They are very surprised when their symptoms return within hours or sometimes even moments when they returned to the activity that led to the injury. But as we'll discover later on, soft tissue injuries are a different kind of animal. Here to explain why RSI can be so tricky to deal with is Dr. George Pulichian of Northwell Health Occupational and Environmental Medicine Clinic in Manhattan. Dr. Pelligian has over 20 years of experience treating people with repetitive strain injuries and has been a big advocate and support for the New York RSI community for many years. I met Dr. Pelligian many years ago at the Miller Institute for Performing Artists when I was writing the first book about RSI, and he is someone who knows so much about this topic that I could listen to him all day. I am thrilled to have him here with me, and welcome Dr. Pelligian. Well, thank you, Deborah. I am happy to talk about my one of my favorite topics, and um, RSI has been um, a part of the medical um, landscape for quite a while. Um, it goes back before the modern uh, era of technology changes uh, from writing to keyboarding. Um, it goes back to the time when we've used our muscles for activities of work and daily living. And yeah. what makes them of interest is their chronic nature. And Yes, can reason. you explain what exactly soft tissue injuries are? I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between a soft tissue injury and a broken bone, for instance. The important part is that the soft t- tissues are soft. They involve muscles, tendons, <laughs> blood vessels, nerves, and even ligaments. But the bones, as you know, are hard. So the soft tissues are mobile themselves, and they function all the time not only to keep us moving, but to keep us steady, to keep us sitting or in a static posture. If you're standing, your soft tissues are working to keep you in that position against gravity, which is constantly working on the human body. So soft tissues are meant to move, and even mm-hmm. if you're not moving, the soft tissues are working. And this is important to understand when we look at how they can become injured. Well, that's the thing, I think, that's, that could be so confusing, because people would think, oh, well, soft tissues, they're soft, why don't they heal? 
And I think it in comes fact, as a Go ahead. In, in fact, they can heal, and thank God they do. The problem is when a certain tipping point occurs in which injury becomes more prevalent, and this is complex as to why soft tissues become injured in the first place. One of the important reasons is that the blood supply to them becomes less capable of providing treants and carrying away waste products, which tend to accumulate in those tissues. And we're talking about muscles now. When mm-hmm. waste products accumulate, at that point, injuries increase. And athletes know that. They have the end products of using their muscles in the athletic performance and acid is one of the metabolic acidosis, as it's called, is one mm-hmm. way in which injuries can occur to muscles in runners or athletes. All right. Is the blood supply not helping because people are sitting still and they're not moving? Is that one of the reasons why that happens? That's one of the important ones. And you know, you and I know that static sedentary work is more capable of injuring a muscle than the type that involves movement of the muscle, because muscles are meant to move us. And this is contrary to what people would normally think. It certainly was contrary to what I thought until I looked a bit more into the science of how muscles uh, work, their normal physiology, and how they become injured, which is called pathology. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the other things that people need to know about these soft tissue injuries and how they're different? And well, they, yeah, they, they differ from bones, of course, in that the injury occurs, for instance, comparing it to a fractured bone. The, the fractured bone would typically, although not always, occur at, in a one-time event, and mm-hmm. then it can heal over time. But the soft tissue injuries, they occur typically over time, and then the healing occurs over even a longer period of time during which the muscles are being used. When the bone is healing, it is typically immobilized so that it has a chance to heal. But immobilizing soft tissues, whether they are healthy or injured, can also injure them as well. So it's very tricky. How do you find the right uh, medium between healing and causing further injury? And so healing soft tissues presents a challenge because of the nature of how the injury occurred over so long. You cannot just say rest it all the time, nor can you continue to use it as you were and so it becomes a balancing act. And one of the things that many people notice when they have these soft tissue injuries are that um, one injury could lead to another. In other words, maybe they started out, as I did, with a little bit of epicondylitis, and then before you know it, there's 22 other things happening. Um, I think that kind of surprises people and that also that they 
they're feeling better, but the minute they go back to the activity, the symptoms return very quickly. And sometimes well, uh, the, they return worse than, than what they were in the initial injury. Yes, this is a phenomenon that has been noticed uh, and written about in the uh, medical literature, and it's not completely understood. However, researchers have uh, some clues. Uh, for instance, the well, we know how the body is put together. When one part is injured, it does not mean that the adjoining, the neighboring parts have not been injured as well, except that they are injured subclinically. In other words, uh. it can't. In other words, it can't be detected. Perhaps you don't feel pain in the area near your elbow, the epicondyle. Ah. Well, in addition that to that, yeah. yeah, in addition to that, of course, you have the fact that we use our bodies as a whole. When one part is being used, for instance, when you're seated at a computer, you are not merely using your fingers and hands and wrists and elbows and shoulders. Mm -hmm. You're using the wing bones, the scapula. You're using your mm -hmm. spine, your neck. Basically, a lot, if not all of the body, is being activated to one extent or the other in keeping you in the position to be poised in order to reach the keyboard at the proper position of typing. Mm -hmm. And so some research has shown that there are abnormalities in the way muscles are metabolizing or using uh, oxygen in other unrelated parts of the body that are not where a person feels pain. So the oxygen is not being properly metabolized? Is that because yes. people are holding their breath or not breathing deeply enough or not moving enough? Not taking well, it's, a yeah, it's suspected that the other parts have also had some subclinical injury as well. This hasn't been proven definitively, but it's one of the clues that scientific researchers have. In other words, so when muscles are injured, they don't they don't metabolize oxygen as well. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, not only oxygen, but other nutrients. Other and nutrients. So, yeah, and and this goes along with the original theories that there is some uh, change in the blood supply to the injured part, and perhaps through chemicals that are released in that injured part that can then travel or affect the non-injured. These changes are seen in other areas. This is a clue. It still has to be um, proven, but it is interesting, and it goes along with some of the uh, hypotheses or theories on why an injury does not just remain in one area that the person is aware of when they're doing an activity. Hmm. Really fascinating. Yes, the human body is fascinating, and uh, certainly with RSI, with the soft 
tissue injuries that occur over time, uh, medical and researcher uh, community has not understood the reason behind how the injuries occur and more, just as importantly, how to undo them and treat them properly. Uh, we're slowly getting there, but um, there are complex reasons why uh, the um, advances in science have not been as quick as uh, one would like. How do you think people, uh, doctors, treat these injuries properly? What is proper treatment for repetitive strain injury? Well, at first, I, I'll tell you historically, um, we've treated them as, as we have other diseases that affect muscles. Um, for instance, uh, like you said, a fracture of a bone. Uh, how do you treat that? Well, you immobilize the muscles uh, around the bone so that the bone is not uh, displaced from the position of, uh, that you'd like it to heal. And this is how RSI was treated. People were given braces and told, rest the part, just don't use it. And mm -hmm. I started to do that. Well, um, it worked for a while, but then as soon as the patient goes back to doing the activity that they were engaged in, their symptoms would come right back. Mm -hmm. So um, that was uh, one way in which uh, practitioners um, tried to uh, treat people with these soft tissue repetitive injuries. Um, then they um, borrowed a bit from other diseases uh, like um, polio, for instance. And polio weakened the muscle. Uh, this was prevalent um, you know, more than uh, 40, 50 years ago, um, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Polio was mm -hmm. still around. And uh, it weakened the muscles, not completely, but partially, this is similar to uh, what is seen with uh, some cases of RSI. Of course, not all cases. But uh, people were able to function, but they were um, needing to, to change how they did their activities. And so uh, the focus went on modifying what you did as you returned to your work or your activities of life. You would change the way you did things in order to um, compensate for the weakness in a given muscle. So we as practitioners would tell people, well, go back to doing what you did, but you have to modify it. Do less of something. And uh, this is still part of the treatment. Um, it's not resting the muscle completely, not using it, which can lead to further injury. But uh, clearly the muscle is not capable uh, of doing everything it did the same way it did, and so you have to modify treatment. So this has been used till now in the mix of uh, how you treat. Uh, but of course, there are you know a dozen of other ways to um, to treat these injuries as well. Uh, I think one of the things that a lot of physical therapists do is they see a muscle weakness, so they immediately go towards strengthening the muscle. And while um, this can be important, I think that it can also, if it's done improperly, further the injury. I have known of many cases where people went into physical therapy with 
wrist pain or forearm weakness, and the, the physical therapist started giving wrist curls. And I remember one doctor saying, no, 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 this is not the time for wrist curls. Um, it will just further damage the tissues because it's already weak. Do you see that sort of thing as well? Uh, yes, I do. And that uh, unfortunately complicates uh, how you use exercises. They are necessary. The question is, um, it's really in the details, and mm -hmm. uh, this is still being worked on. Uh, people are trying to determine how much and what type of exercise you give and when in the course of recovery do you implement the exercises. And um, there, is, um, there is not enough research published on this, actually. It's a good point you bring up. Uh, it sort of is a, a trial and error phenomenon. The therapist, the physical therapist, or the uh, physician uh, will suggest a course of um, strengthening exercises, and when the patient engages in them, uh, if the pain gets worse and worse, and mm -hmm. um, there is less uh, functioning of that part, the patient will complain, and then the therapist will uh, cut back on the exercise and uh, then see what is a level that can be sustained um, by the patient. So this is uh, unfortunately how we find out whether the exercise helps or is not helping. Yes, it, it um it's unfortunate that there's not a way of finding out without causing further pain to people who are already in pain and, you know, want to help themselves. Um, and, and then there's other approaches, too, um, such as work hardening, which I think is a little bit controversial in this field, uh, where people get hours and hours and hours of uh, physical therapy and exercise in order to, quote, harden them uh, to work, and I know uh, some people think that this is not a good idea. Just wondering what you think. Uh, it's a complex issue. Uh, it, it, you need to do uh, strengthening of some of the mm -hmm. muscles, and uh, you do need to uh, have your capability uh, increased to do your uh, work activities. Work is necessary uh, for life. We want to work uh, um, at something useful, uh, but um, how it's done is the question. And uh, if there were an easy formula to apply, I would uh, publish it. I would uh, tell you what the formula is, and we would go ahead and use it. Um, it it's a matter that I think we will get better at doing. I am certain that there are uh, practitioners who treat RSI, who have uh, better protocols that can be applied uh, for treating people. And in fact, um, there are patient testimonies of improvement and of uh, being able to return to most all of their former activities. Although typically in my practice, I've seen people having to uh, modify their work um, in a way that was uh, different from how they worked prior to um, the onset of their uh, symptoms. And uh, I think sometimes this is uh, good because we may work in a way that causes injury. Um, as I yes. said, 
you know, we are in an increasingly static, um, you know, we're increasingly a static, sedentary society uh, because of uh, some of the technologies uh, inherent in, um, in, in, in work right now, the computer workstation being one of them. Uh, the body needs to move, and we need to circulate the blood. And there are consequences to being sedentary that are beyond the injuries to soft tissues that we are talking of today. Um, some recent research shows that um, all cause mortality. Uh, death from all causes uh, apparently increases uh, when one is sedentary um, over the long course and uh, this is, of course, worrisome because we have an epidemic of obesity uh, worldwide. So uh, being sedentary in one's work adds to this, and um, it is a cause of concern, I think, to, to all of us as a society. So that's a really important point. Um, what do you think, when somebody has RSI, what are the most important things that they can do to help themselves get better? And how quickly can people expect to get better? So maybe the first part of that question is first, you know, what can people do to help themselves? Well, I, I can always recommend learning about the um, and the uh, diagnosis, assuming that it's the correct diagnosis, uh, one would seek professional help and look for competent help. Uh, in other words, find people who've had similar symptoms from activities that the person was engaging in mm-hmm. and uh, seek out who has been um, helpful in, um, in getting better. Uh, for instance, if one were an injured uh, musician, and um, one could ask who has treated you as a fellow musician who's sustained a similar injury and um, then seek professional advice and evaluation from that uh, practitioner and uh, then read about the disorder, see what others have said. That's how even uh, clinicians and practitioners learn. They ask what's worked. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people have come upon what works for them without professional help, although I don't recommend that as a professional, um, and they've published uh, their own experiences. Musicians have done that, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. who have been practicing uh, their, you know, practicing their instrument, uh, performing with their instrument in a certain way that they learned was injurious, and they modified that, and they were able to uh, perform better and their symptoms improved. They, they felt better. So I and they, li- they listened. When you listened to them, they sounded better. I remember those um, stories. It not only improved yeah. their symptoms, but it, it made the sound that they were making through their instrument more pleasurable. Interesting. That's, that's true. That's true. And, and one's work becomes uh, more efficient, of course, when you are working in a... Uh, manner that is less taxing to the to the muscles and the soft tissues in general uh, i i enc- i encourage people to to uh, learn from the uh, experience of others with similar injuries i think that's very important 
And then as a general rule, I would uh, say seek out um, practitioners who have uh, experience and um, a good reputation uh, for helping people with those same disorders. So um, those are two things that are important for all um, patients who suffer from these disorders. One of the things that I think is very difficult for people with RSI is the relapse situation where they get better and then they get worse and they get better and they get worse. Do you have any advice uh, about people in that situation? Well, without seeing the individual, uh, what I could say um, in, in a generic manner would be that there isn't a one um, one solution fits all um, answer. It's not uh, stop everything or just go all out and uh, uh, have every treatment available. Uh, because there are some who would suggest surgeries that are perhaps unnecessary, or others would say, well, just stop working, just stop doing any activity that you that, that promotes pain of any sort or symptoms of any sort. Uh, you have to find some balance uh, between those. Uh, don't go to any extreme um, for a long period. There might be one surgery that's necessary. There might be some time of rest, but don't stay in one camp uh, for long because um, multiple surgeries can themselves cause um, consequences and not engaging in um, any uh, movement, um, as we said earlier, can itself cause problems. Uh, so that's the only advice I would give, and I don't know how helpful that is. I hope it will. It's very be. helpful. I think it's important for people to hear um, that you know normal movement actually helps the healing process, um, and I think that's a very important uh, thing for people to know. Um, one more thing about doctors: how can what are some of the signs that you've got a good doctor on your team? What are the qualities of a good doctor to be treating these soft tissue injuries? Well, I would say the ability to listen uh, and to have had experience with others with the same symptoms. And of course, uh, a, uh, a track record of uh, helping people doesn't mean that they're necessarily cured. Sometimes uh, doctors who have experience also uh, would uh, understandably attract the more severe uh, sufferers, uh, those who've had symptoms for a longer period of time that affect many parts of their body. And uh, then they would have patients who appear to uh, be chronically ill or not getting better for long periods of time. And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a sign that the a practitioner does not have uh, good clinical uh, skills, but um, in general, the first two that people have benefited from seeing the practitioner and the practitioner has experience and listens to the patient well are important. That's, that's very good advice, I think. Um, 
when you're seeking medical care from any doctor is someone who listens. And um, certainly you are someone who really listens to people. I know you spend a lot of time with your patients. Um, So we have a minute or two left. Is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners for today? Uh, well, to talk about I, I would yeah i would I would say that uh, don't lose hope because uh science is advancing in this field uh people do get better, and that's i I have rarely seen people who do not get better, and I've seen people with all levels of severity uh people get better uh, now the question people ask me is, will I be able to do everything like I did before? And as I said earlier, sometimes the answer is really you don't need to do the things you did before because they were injurious in the first place. People who are sedentary, working 10 or 12 hours every day, I would say, no, you do not want to go back to doing that work, that type of activity, whether it's work or not, because that's not what the human body is meant to do. So Mm -hmm. we all have to know the limitations uh, of the human body and uh, we have to really um, also have hope that we will get better. Yes, yes. Well, that's a wonderful note to leave, and I think it's also wonderful to make the point that the work itself can be very injurious, especially for long, long hours, because this is a cumulative trauma disorder. But I want to thank so much. For coming on the show, Dr. Poligian, it's very generous of you to share your wisdom and knowledge with us. And to our listeners, um, if you have a question for Dr. Poligian, you can email me through the Blog Talk Radio website, and I will pass them along, and hopefully he will come back on our show and answer your specific questions. Um, Obviously, he can't give personal medical advice, but... Uh, you know, if you have a general question, maybe we could do that or another topic that you'd like to hear. And I'd like to thank you all for listening to RSI Help Radio. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Poligian, for coming on to talk with us today. And uh, until next time, I hope everybody takes really good care of their hands. Bye-bye.